Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast and Right Side Up Collective. We're airing this video over there. This is a really unique podcast episode. And frankly, I loved it. So it's pretty long. We understand that. But this is part interview from Brian Sims on his book, Leading Together. He talks about adaptive leadership, adaptive change that we're all wrestling through. And there's some really helpful principles, but it's also part consulting session. We are going through some changes at Stay Forth, and I'm vulnerable in here about some of my challenges as a founder, some of my weaknesses, and frankly, just the challenge that it is for an organization to grow from something that was a small dream and idea to something that's a little bit bigger of a 2.0, and now really the 3.0 moment that we're at at Stay Forth as we want to resource more leaders, but we also want to keep our values intact. We want to be an empowering organization. We want to grow larger, but we also want to be adaptive and small enough to be able to handle the challenges you're actually facing, not the ones that we think you're facing. So with that said, I hope, first of all, you take this episode in. Secondly, I'd hope that you would maybe share this and invite somebody else into this episode. Third, I hope that you'll actually take a look at some of the adaptive challenges that we are facing and maybe that you are facing right now, and you would understand what a timely moment this is right now. As we are in extended COVID and sort of exiting a COVID era, we've hit two years of a lot of these challenges. People are just ready to move forward, but we don't fully know where we're going. Another way of saying that, we have some clarity of next steps we don't have certainty of where we are heading. I believe certainty in general is a farce. I believe that we are looking for some level of control. Hear me say this, I don't know where the world will be two years from now. I don't know exactly where Stay Forth will be a year from now as we continue to grow and adapt and morph and serve more leaders, but we are humbly committed to finding that out and to heading down that path. And so this podcast experience, this video experience, again, is part interview of Brian Sims on his phenomenal book about team, the challenges of team, why we lead alone and why we wouldn't lead together, and part consulting session, talking to me about the challenges in Stay Forth. It was wildly helpful to me. I think it'll be wildly helpful to you. Friends, we're going to continue to kind of morph these things. We want to remind you, if you're up for more of these conversations in a psychologically safe space, not Facebook, we want to invite you over to Right Side Up Collective. That's rightsideupcollective.com. Hungry practitioners looking for real steps toward change and leadership in this moment where we desperately need it. So enjoy my conversation with Brian Sims. He is a professor. He is a consultant. He's a coach. He's also a thought leader and an author in this space. He has a broad range of experience with change and with leadership. He brings right here to our Stay Forth community. Enjoy my conversation with my new friend, Brian Sims. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here, Alan. Great yeah, to be with you. Been fun getting to know you a little bit. And I mean, we have so much in common. So much of our heart at Stay Forth is around healthy leadership. And part of that is around team. So, yeah. man, today we're going to dive in uh, all around your book and the topic of study really for today uh, around team. And I would just say, Brian, I think increasingly by the month, if not by the week, we're seeing 
um, a failure of team, a failure of culture and the increased need for this message of team and how team actually works together. So it feels really timely in this moment. And I'm sure timeless principles in there as well. Before we dive into that topic, tell us a little bit more about you um, and some of the things that you do. Um, but also how did you get obsessed enough with team that you would write a whole book on it? Yeah. Well, thank you, Alan. Well, so my, my own background, you know, I, uh, Grew up in the church, um, grew up in a congregation that actually had a bivocational pastor. And so, I mean, I didn't I didn't actually hear the language of clergy and laity until I got to seminary myself. Uh, and so we we did everything in team. I didn't really know any difference. Um, and my parents were lay people that were heavily involved in all of that. And by the time I was in middle school, I was on teams and serving in ministry and stuff. And so um, in, in a very real way, it's the paradigm I grew up with and didn't realize it's so radically different than what so many people experience in the church, uh, as well as elsewhere. And uh, so that was early experience for me. Uh, but I'm also a sports addict and a musician. And uh, team is like everything when it comes to that stuff. I love team sports. I love uh, ensembles and jazz bands and uh, you know, uh, even drama uh, that I used to be a part of a lot. Um, everything happens best in team and that synergy that comes from all of that. So that was, you know, some of my early experiences. And uh, but then uh, have had over the last 22 years, the opportunity started um, coaching with this organization called SLI um, was in the very early stages of the development of that. We're now 22 years in and having interacted in uh, in churches and denominational groups, networks for the last couple of decades, and recognizing that isolation and solo leadership and a staff-driven or pastor-driven kind of model in a lot of churches, church planter-driven models in church plants, that everything is kind of about the solo leader, um, has prompted a, a deep dive for me into what is really the biblical model around this, as well as just um, practically, how how can this work in the world we live in now? Um, and then my my PhD work is actually in organizational leadership, and I spent my time studying complexity theory, adaptive leadership, things that I get really excited about. Some people will be like, "What in we'll, the world?" Who we'll cares? nerd out about it later, but, and then save everybody yeah. else. And so, but but that that sort of stuff. I mean, what's interesting for me is the more adaptive and and the more challenging the world is that we're in, the organizations we're in, everything else, the the less likely it is that a single leader is going to have the solutions, the answers for that sort of thing. Wow. And so you you mentioned as, as we got started, it feels like a really timely word right now. And I it is timeless. This goes all the way back to the Trinity for me, um, working in team. But it's timely right now because we're facing so many challenges that we don't have answers to adaptive challenges in that kind of way. And, and as, as I love to say, uh, you know, getting through adaptive challenges requires shared leadership. We cannot do it by ourselves. None of us have the, the intellect, the capacity, the gifts, the strengths, the, I mean, the, all of that, none of us can do that by ourselves. And yet so many leaders are trying to in, in every different sector across, across our world. So. All right. We got to start there. Why are so many leaders trying it? And we see that it, it is not working. Why are so many continuing to do it, Brian? 
Well, you know, some of it, I, I, I always think of the, the metaphor and my friend Alan Hirsch uses this metaphor a lot, but anthropologists have used this idea a lot. Like, uh, you know, culture is like the water that the fish swim in. They don't even know they're in it. Um, and I think one of the big reasons why we get stuck in this and continue to perpetuate it is because it's all we know. It's all we've seen. And so it, it, the, some of the stuckness is not out of conviction. Uh, you know, it's not, it's, in fact, I, I run into to leaders all the time that actually resonate with the idea of shared leadership, but they've never seen it happen yeah. in a healthy way, which means that the only thing they know is to do it how they learned it. And it's sure. typically in a solo kind of way. So that's, I think, one side of why we stay stuck in that solo heroic leader paradigm. But I think the flip side of it is that we like control. And we like recognition and we let we lack humility sometimes. And, um, you know, I, I had somebody ask me a number of years ago, having done a lot of coaching in a lot of congregations uh, and and different movements and networks and whatnot. Uh, if you were to name the kind of underlying value running through the decision making process of most local churches, what would it be? And of course, this is not like the value they would preach about, but like what's actually shaping our decision making? And I mean, it was an easy answer for me. It's the word control. Mm. I think um, when we're afraid, we we, we want to try to create, we, we try to control our environment. And this, I mean, it's true individually. It's true in our families. It's true in our churches. It's true every in every sector. And yet when I think about what it means for Jesus to be Lord and for us to be true disciples of Jesus, me being in control does not fit into that equation. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so, but this notion of control is, I mean, it, it is inherent within our, our vision and muscle memory of what it means to be a leader. It's to be in control, to be in charge. And we have gotten this um, framework that uh, for me says, you know, anytime things get messy and we end up with disequilibrium, what a leader is supposed to do is bring control, is actually bring equilibrium, is to make sure everything's okay. When in reality, uh, the disequilibrium, it creates the, the possibility of us moving forward. And yet we're going to have to share that with others. None of us are going to have the, the ability as, as an individual leader to, uh, you know, to get through the hardest stuff by ourselves. Um, and so the, the, the last thing I would say about this is that I think there's a cultural expectation in a lot of organizations, a lot of congregations, um, a lot of networks that, um, when we face hard stuff, the boss is supposed to tell us what to do. And so under the weight of that responsibility and that expectation, many of us keep doing that, even though we don't know what we're doing. Sure. Uh, even though we may not have answers to the complex issues that are out there. And uh, many of us, not me included, you know, are well-trained to be experts in something. And anytime you become an expert, you're, uh, you're more likely to want to share your expertise and, and lean on that instead of have the humility to say, you know what, I don't actually, I don't know. We, uh, we're going to have to figure that out together. And that, that phrase right now is so powerful. I don't know. But like you said, but let's figure that out together versus I don't know. Let's live in a zone where 
We lack clarity. And we talk about what we're after is clarity, not certainty. I think the illusion is certainty. I, I don't know where right. we'll be in two years. I don't know what's happening in Europe right now, where that's going to go. I don't know what gas prices are going to be. I don't know whether teams are going to come back to work or what hybrid work looks like. I don't know. However, let's figure this out together. That's almost the best, best of both worlds, that confident humility that Adam Grant talks about. Of, exactly. of confidence we're called here i have confidence this is the zone or space we need to be in but i actually don't know what's ahead so here's here's what i'm hearing from you which i really love first of all it's the only thing we've seen uh it is so easy to fall back to it if we actually haven't seen anything else secondly control um the third uh, what i'm almost hearing you say is it's easier to have someone think for us than to actually yeah. do the thing especially when we're in fear mode am i catching that right yeah Exactly. Yeah. And I, that, that for me is, um, you know, think of it this from the perspective of, you know, I'm, I'm uh, in an organization and this is complex and it's easier for me to just defer to the boss or I'm a lay person in a congregation and yep. it's easy for me to go, well, I've never been to seminary. I don't really know the Bible as well. And I don't really know that this will, you know, I, so it's probably better for the pastor to just figure this out. Yeah. Easier. And so it's a, Yes. Uh, more effective. No. No. Well, and once again, um, and so it allows, it allows us to kind of shirk our responsibility, um, and, uh, give that away. But, um, is that really, is that really what God is calling us to and what would it look like for us to do it together? But then uh, once again, the flip side is if the pastor's going, I don't know what to do, but I'm afraid to admit it. And the layperson in this case is saying, I don't really want any responsibility that, compounding effect there is perpetuating the problem. Yes. You know? Yes. And we, and yet, and we have that a lot. Yes, yes, yes. We are so unprepared for the actual answers today. And again, a lot, you know, what Bolsinger writes on this um, and Heifetz on adaptive leadership is that um, once we understand that the role of the leader, maybe this is reason number four here, the role of the leader is not what we think it was and what exactly. has been inherited um, I think we need to actually rethink and reimagine uh, what leadership is and isn't, which I, I would imagine that's so much of your, your role there at the seminary, right? It's helping leaders sort of reimagine their role. It is. And so, and that's, that's what I've been doing in uh, work teaching at the seminary in the last 12 years. And it's what we've been doing through the, the coaching work of SLI over the last 22 years, trying to help um, positional leaders to reimagine their roles. Um, and for us to think about leadership more in terms of environment and process than in terms of the leader's role. Um, and so much of what's out there, even in, in uh, Christian leadership literature that's out there is about the character, which really good. That's important, but the character and role that leaders play and, uh, and what, what you're describing from an adaptive leadership model is us kind of saying, what if the role of the leader is actually radically different? than what we thought it was. And it doesn't mean that the leader doesn't, isn't responsible. It doesn't mean they're, you know, but it does mean that they're looking at this, they're looking at their role more in the context of how can I create the space that we can figure this out together yeah. that is empowering yeah. to others so that something generative can come from this as opposed to how do I come up with the solutions to the challenges we're facing? How do I be the expert in the room? Yep, that's good. And the pressure that that takes off. So it's interesting how people are feeling underutilized yet frustrated in many organizations. Like 
and, yeah. and so kind of especially mid-tier leaders, and I coach a lot of them, um, of feeling underutilized yet heading toward burnout at the same time. So that's really interesting to me. And yeah. yet the need for empowerment, and I like that, the environment where you can actually impact something. Um, right. People are quitting their jobs and their bosses to head to other places where they can actually have an impact. And exactly. I think it's the need of the day, I'm grateful for the millennial spirit of also saying, I want to go somewhere where I can make an impact. At the same time, the leader that's heading the thing up is exhausted, decision fatigue, and is actually needing the, the inverse of what the other person needs in terms of responsibility, load, or share. Um, man, what an interesting collision is happening right now. Absolutely. It is very interesting. And I, I mean, I, I was uh, in a coaching call just earlier this morning uh, with a very seasoned leader, very experienced and they're doing team really, really well. And, and uh, one of the one of the uh, glory sightings that he shared, one of these places where there's, he's really seeing the Lord work is in these two leaders he's coaching that are on his team that have their own teams that are doing all of this crazy experimentation. And there's no way for him to control it. And he doesn't desire to. But some of that's like, we have no idea what this is going to live, you know, lead to. And they may fail at half of what they're trying. Mm. But there's an environment of freedom of experimentation, but it's built around a shared set of values and, yep. and shared commitments together, shared responsibility together. It's not just a, Hey, I'm giving you permission to go do what you want. They're actually right. very much in it together in a covenantal way with mm -hmm. clarity to use the language you do. They don't, they don't know what it's all leading to, but they mm -hmm. do have clarity as to who they are, as to what God is calling them to, as to what they're, what they're up to. And, um, and, and because of that clarity and that shared sense of responsibility, it's like, Hey, you're empowered, go find a new way to do this. Mm. And they're doing that. And that's, I mean, that's, that's what we need. But once again, those are the middle manager kind of people in his particular church and organization, larger congregation. And they're, they're having a ball, they're empowered, but it's his favorite thing to tell stories about as a senior leader, mm. but his role is radically different than the way we we often see that role played where everything stops at the desk of the boss. That's good. Uh, note the end of this time, I am going to try to solicit some free consulting about what we're going through in our team. So let's do a little bit of live coaching consulting here in a little bit because uh, we literally headed out of a meeting before this where the team is weighing in on various things and uh, we're trying to solve some issues and pain points and we're flexible, we're adaptive. So we actually can solve those pretty quickly, um, but love to kind of discuss that. A couple Absolutely. other areas, you know, why are people not living this out? Speed. Uh, talk about speed because naturally people would say, dang, uh, that is so much yeah. slower to involve the whole team in that. What do you say to that? Well, I mean, it, I would say, yep, that's right. It is slower um, to start with. And so, uh, I mean, the, the phrase I like to use uh, around this is that, um, you know, a, a good leader can always get more done than a bad team. And that actually and, and bad team, I don't mean bad people, but I'm just like, if it's not effective. And so, so many leaders and I, we hear this from leaders all the time. It's just faster if I do it myself. It is faster today if you do it yourself. Yes but it won't be a week from now and a year from now and 10 yeah. years from now. And the problem is that if as a leader, I continue to, to function that way, I'm going to always have to function that way. 
Right. And so it is. And so you go all the way back to Tuckman and his work on teams and this whole idea of whole idea of uh, forming, storming, norming, and then performing. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is language that they yeah. use, you know, if you yeah. go study teams and organizations, this is, this is the language of it. And, and why? Because if you're actually going to get to that performing stage where clearly, I mean, duh, a team can outperform, outperform a good leader if the yeah. team is effective, if they have alignment, unity, you know, and they're, they're in it together. That, Obviously, a team can outperform a, a good leader, even a great leader. But you've got to get to that stage. And in order to do so, what does it take? Well, you've got to have trust. You've got to have, you know, shared relationship. You've got to have some sense of shared purpose together. And so I love to talk about kind of the both and sides of this. Of You know, you've got shared relationship and you've got shared purpose. You've got it's, it's unity of, of love and unity of purpose these things working in collaboration, it's harmony and synergy that we're, we're we got something, mm-hmm. we got a mission we're called to, but the only way we get that done is if we're in yeah. a deep relationship yeah. with one another. And, uh, and so clearly building that kind of deep relationship and getting that kind of clarity and unity around shared purpose, shared values that it, it doesn't happen overnight. And it's why a lot of leaders feel like, you know, it's, it, it's faster for me to just keep doing it by myself. The problem of course, is that, um, that might be true if you're facing only technical things that we already know how to do. But if you're facing adaptive challenges, that breaks down by itself. Like we, you can't figure that out by yourself. And the, but the long-term view of this is, is if you're looking at this in terms of generations, like we want to have a generative effect. We want to see multiplication happen. Um, then I, I cannot make those decisions by myself. We have to figure out how to collaborate around this. And I've got to empower people if I'm in a position of leadership or we're doing this together because at some point I'm going to be gone. And if everything's built around me, there's no way this organization survives. And how does that serve the kingdom of God? Yeah, it's good. But if it's built around shared and every person, uh, you know, is, has, has got an, a part in, in this uh, and a sense of ownership with shared responsibility, then uh, multiplication becomes possible and we can see truly generative transformation happen. That's good. And, you know, the old adage, want to go fast, go alone, want to go far, go together. Um, I don't think we can stress that too much. What's the aim here? And I think if our head is down and we're looking days or weeks ahead, then you're right. It is faster uh, to be able to do that. I also think more and more challenges are moving from technical challenges that we've seen before to adaptive challenges. Let's figure this out. Let's, I mean, workplace, for example, what is a workplace anymore? Is it Zoom? Is it Slack? We have a small office here that's sort of been a private team office. We're moving to a larger social space, co-working event space at Stay Forth slash office. And we're going to share that with some other people. Um, that's an adaptive challenge. Are we going to be able to figure that out? Yes, exactly what it will look like. I'm not sure, but we'll yeah. we'll dive in. And, and yet I see a lot of organizations stuck and a lot of organizations looking in the rearview mirror. And uh, I think it's a wake up call. We are not going back to the rearview mirror. Um, we are not returning to where we were. Not all people will return to church. And I'm not like the bearer of bad news there. I think we all know this stuff down deep is that we will work differently. Yeah than we have before. Some companies literally will not require people to come back to the office. So um, that brings change, chaos, uncertainty, and opportunity 
at the end of that. Um, and so it both nerve wracking and exciting at the same time. Uh, let's keep discussing a little bit more. I just want to keep throwing this stuff off of you again. It's the only thing we've seen. We want control. There's an old leadership paradigm, maybe thrust upon us, um, faster, maybe easier. I don't have to think for myself. The last one is we've seen some dysfunctional team environments and some people have everything from PTSD about that, uh, lead by committee, or it's almost faux team leadership. So talk right. about that and how some of the leaders listening are going, I've tried to do team again uh, before and I ain't going to do it again. Um, where do you right. see that faux team leadership and the failures of the past, unfortunately blocking our team imagination? Yeah. Well, I mean, one example I always think of is a um, church plant um, that I had an opportunity to, to do a little bit of coaching in that um, the, the, the planter was, you know, a classic kind of apostolic evangelist kind of person and very um, entrepreneurial. And uh, he, he told the story of team of what he wanted, but he recruited people around him that were yes men and yes women. Mm. And most of whom that were not terribly confident in who they were. And so what it turned into was he had a crew of people to delegate all kinds of tasks to, but they weren't actually sharing leadership. Now, they all did have responsibility, but it wasn't shared responsibility. <laughs> um, I, I think of another pastor friend of mine that I, I worked with that um, he, he was constantly, it, it was funny because he'd formerly been in youth ministry and he treated the church plant almost like, mm. you know, we've got, just like having volunteers for a youth ministry. There you go. And so it looks like team on paper, but it's faux team because everybody's got their particular job to do, but it may not have any tie to their calling and passion. They're not sharing responsibility They're, You know, it's like, okay, you go do the snack supper and you go do this and you go do this and you, you set up the sound system and you, and so I mean, everybody's got a job. It kind of looks like team. But it's not shared responsibility. It's not shared purpose in that kind of way. And what, what I've watched in, in many of those is that your stronger leaders end up leaving. Yeah. Because that team environment, you know, say again. It's a, because they feel under-challenged. They're under-challenged, underutilized. Um, but it's also a, um, it, I mean, there's no integrity in it. You, you actually promise one thing and what we're doing is something different. You're, you're describing a vision of what you want this to look like in terms of team, but you're actually in charge and we, we don't really have much say in this. And so I think that's some of what causes the PTSD. The, the flip side of it is, I mean, there are many other kinds of environments that are really unhealthy. And we, we experience these in, in teams and committees, uh, mission groups, as well as small groups in local churches or whatever, uh, or work teams where, um, you know, all we do is relational and we don't do anything missional. Or vice versa. All we do is discuss all the stuff and get something done, but we don't have any friendship. We don't have any relationships. And so it's really fascinating even looking at the literature and uh, like organizational leadership literature around team and seeing that, uh, I mean, that's all I thought we were doing something innovative in our language and come to find out, actually, you go read all the literature and it's like where you have task and relationship come together, Mm -hmm. that's team. It's both and. 
And what we have in many churches is people are just doing kind of the committee kind of stuff and they're making decisions and trying to get something done, but they don't have any relationship. There's no formation. There's no, there's no friendship. Um, or they're in these groups that it's all about relationship mm-hmm. and maybe formation and growth and all that, but we're not, we're not in mission in any kind of way. And it's not to say that either of those are bad, mm-hmm. but the both and looks more like the Jesus model mm-hmm. and some of the PTSD, but even, even if it's not that dramatic, just frustration with things that, that look like team leadership is that it was just a waste of time. We never did anything except mm-hmm. enjoy each other's company mm-hmm. or it was, we, you know, we're constantly trying to get stuff done, but we didn't care about each other. We didn't have mm-hmm. trust. We didn't have, yeah. and so it wasn't very effective. And then they've got this sour taste in their mouth. Yeah. And once again, it leads to more of the, I'd rather just do it myself. Sure. And do you think that each person or leader leads, leans one direction, either toward a relationship or task? I do. I, and I think this is, I mean, it's personality. Uh, and it, not only each leader, but I mean, I had, uh, I had a really seasoned leader ask me earlier today, um, if, uh, if churches have personalities like that, and I think they do. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't just say churches, organizations totally that are, that tend more toward conversation and relationship and all that, or tend toward more, we're going to get things done. And it really is, you know, team is the integration of those things. And, um, the, the other, the other piece that, um, is common is that a lot of leaders that want to do team recruit teams around them, recruit people around them that are like them, that have the same kind of strengths. And you got to have shared passion for purpose if you're going to be on team together. But the more diverse a team is in terms of perspectives and roles, responsibilities, all of that, the better the team is. And if you have a whole crew of people that are wired the same, you end up over time with the group thing kind of thing happening. And that's one of the other reasons why people get really frustrated with team is it's like, um, it's all just the pet project of that senior leader. Um, and it's not, it's not well-rounded and nobody can speak anything in that context that is, that would go against Mm -hmm. whatever it is that, that they want. And so um, all of those kind of things can lead to um, that PTSD or even just the sour taste in the mouth that causes us to continue mm. to say, I'd rather just do this alone. That's good. And I think it's a helpful thing. I, I invite leaders to think about which direction they lean, what's sort of your natural MO, what's great about that, what's you know a, a liability uh, to that. And I think yeah. um, even seasonally, I think we can probably shift and that's what I've seen, sure. you know, based in stress, something like the Enneagram lets us know, um, man, yeah. I'm not acting as me right now. And so it's helpful for me to know if I'm overly mission driven and just about the task, then I'm missing something. And how do I sort of right. return to that? So I think if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, really helpful to do some self-assessment and to go, wow, I'm probably acting out of stress in this season. Um, and yeah. where do I go when I'm trying to grab for control? I, I don't want to miss that. That control piece is huge, Brian, that you're talking about, because we've all been literally out of control. The world is out of our control. Yeah. As always, we just really have realized it over the last the last two years. Um, man, so, so much. And I, I agree. So much we can learn here. So much each person could take notes here, share with your teams. I would encourage you listening and watching this show this with your team, have a conversation maybe with your ops person or your key volunteer or a staff member you're working with regularly and how you're hearing this message 
may cause either excitement in you or frustration to say, yes, I'm accidentally doing that. Um, and I want to make sure that we get some free consulting out of this, uh, Brian. So let me give you a little bit of context. Let's say you don't know uh, us at all. And I say, oh, you wrote a book called Leading Together, The Holy Possibility of Harmony and Synergy in the Face of Change. And you do some coaching, consulting, some education around this. Man, you're a professor. Perfect. I'm so glad I landed with you uh, on this international plane flight. But we only have five or so minutes. Give us five minutes of consulting on this. Stay Forth Designs originally was just me and sort of a 1.0, moved to a 2.0, you know, a team of four, incredible. Love you team as you listen. We have now added two more uh, and are want to operationalize our values and multiply our impact. So we're moving from four to six and have just done that. Moving to a 3.0, which is a multiplicative uh, where leaders are making decisions in a more decentralized way. And I'm empowering them to do that. Uh, but I'm still the founder. I'm still around. I still get in the way sometimes uh, of that. People still see it as Alan's thing if they haven't met our team. And uh, I think one key thing is that we have around 20 coaches who are living out our mission across the country. So kind of a strange setup here we've got, Brian. Uh, how would you give me thoughts or advice, maybe questions, things to think about on those two areas of both environment and process as we try to make this continuing shift into stay for 3.0. Yeah, that's really good. Well, I mean, one of the, one of the things for me in, in terms of environment is um, what uh, you know, that even, even Google and others have done these studies that, that show that psychological safety is critical. If people are going to be all in and um, if teams are going to go well, organizations are going to go well. And so, especially as you add new people, um, there is a um, there's a tendency sometimes for us to get a compliance rather than deep commitment mm -hmm. from new people as they roll into a team. Uh, we've experienced this within SLI as well. And some of our context is really similar to what you described from two of us in the beginning to eventually, you know, a team of six. And then, you know, we got 40 coaches around the world that are doing stuff and, and but very similar kinds of things. And that founder syndrome and that, oh, well, that's just kind of something those folks are working on. And how do, how do you challenge that, especially if you're a strong leader? Um, and I know you are, Alan. How can others challenge that? How do you create the kind of space that actually makes it part of the conversation for them to where there's enough psychological safety? There's enough uh, trust that that, um, you know, that we can lean into the hard conversations um, and to make that part of the rhythm. And so, um, it, you know, it could be as simple as um, what does it look like on a very regular basis in team? to actually give people an opportunity to, to paint the picture of what they are seeing in the organization, as opposed to just, um, you know, reflecting what, what you're seeing. And um, those new voices will, um, will obviously see something radically different than you do. And uh, we do that a lot um, in our coaching work through the development of covenant together um, and having very clear commitment and expectations of, of just how our relationships are going to work with each other where it's not just a, an informal kind of, uh, yeah, we each other and we're, you know, we're, we're on the same mission and we're working together well, but to actually name what our own personal non-negotiables are relationally with each other. So that, um, in some ways it's like wedding vows, um, you know, for, uh, in, in a marriage where you're actually naming on the front end, this is what we're committing to. And no matter whether you do it or not, I'm promising you, this is what I'm in for. And, uh, and that, that, 
uh, really helps when things get messy um, because now we have this objective thing that we worked on before things got messy, uh, this covenant um, that we can actually continually refer to. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the first thing that pops for me is creating that kind of psychological safety, that kind of relational, uh, safety with one another in order to challenge, um, those kind of things. And, uh, so, and, and that, um, and I see this in you, Alan, but the, the humility and the vulnerability to consistently say, I need you to tell me the truth. Um, and because, I mean, that's one of my experiences is, um, lot, a lot of, founding leaders, um, they want that from people, but people don't really think they want that. (laughs) And so how do you consistently not just communicate that, but create the space for people to actually, uh, provide that kind of feedback? Yeah. I, and I think that's really important, Brian. I feel some of that. There's also a power dynamic there, um, people are grateful sure. and I think we treat people well, um, here on our team at stay forth and, and give opportunities. And yet, um, I want to make sure. So again, team, if you are listening, you have permission, I'll tell you this again. And yet I think the challenge is to create actual rhythms, like where in our weekly schedule, do we actually have a place for that to happen? I think that can be my weakness. It's like, Hey, whenever go ahead and grab me. Well, I think busyness is part of this, right? The faster we're running, the more people aren't going to want to slow down. And I hear that phrase a lot. Oh, I'm sure you have a lot going on, but, and, um, and I think the, the, you know, any founders listening, like it's a, it's a real conundrum. It's, it's real. And sometimes Brian, I'd be curious what you see kind of founder syndrome. Sometimes that's not fully addressed until 20, 30, 40 years in when that person move on and you thought you had leaders, but you only had people carrying out tasks has that been your experience with founder syndrome? It has been. And it's true in a lot of places with church plants, with nonprofits, with for-profits that I've seen. And uh, it's why, uh, and and I mean, this is it's what I would affirm, as you just said, and you asked environment and process, but in terms of the process side of that, so I mentioned environment, but what, what are the practices that actually enable that to happen? And what are we hoping for long-term? Continuing to paint the picture of, and to give them an opportunity, the people on your team, the people in your organization to paint the picture of what does the future look like for us? And what people are used to is the founder painting that picture. And so giving them the opportunity to paint that picture, but then to back into that, now we're in a process of what practices will allow us to live into that, but what ways am I as a founder inhibiting that? And even if I don't want to be, I'm functioning as a solo heroic leader. Can you help me see that? Um, and but it, it actually may not be you. This is one of the other fascinations with founder syndrome kind of stuff. You can do everything right. You can ask the right questions, have the right rhythms. But people have to take the initiative. They have to, to sense that empowerment to actually step in. They have to have enough safety. And um, you creating that environment is critical to that. But their own past experiences And even personalities and everything else are going to play into whether or not they take that opportunity. And uh, so I'll just tell you, I mean, like in in SLI, our primary founder, eight on the Enneagram, I'm a two on the Enneagram, which surprises a lot of people. But I I didn't want to confront him about anything. Right. He was asking for it. He wanted mutual collaborative kind of stuff. 
And I did too, but I felt that he's older than I am. He's my boss. We have very different personalities. And even just the, he's an eight, he's a strong leader. He's a, my instincts were actually to defer. He didn't want me to. And so even with the intentionality of trying to create the space where I could just really, we could do this together and really speak into that. It took a long time in relationship and a lot of the change was in me. Sure. And um, with having the confidence then to say, hey, we're in this together. Um, One of the phrases that he uses all the time and we use it throughout SLI, encourage leaders all the time. Anytime somebody refers to this as your thing to correct and use we language. And as simple as that is, uh, it's part of the process of saying you have you have ownership in this. That's good. This is yours, too. And that's hard for founders to do. Yeah, no, that's good. Really helpful. If you're listening to this and you're a founder, um, this has been a practice of mine for about the last year is, is we and are, and here at stay forth versus this. And I actually don't have the authority to now make all the decisions that I once had the authority. And even if I did, it's also not what's helpful would be even that second layer of that. Um, just yeah. you have the authority to, doesn't mean that that's most helpful. Um, and sure. it's interesting, Brian, it's almost that you needed to hear if you're a helper and that's how you're wired to help and contribute that actually how you can help is by telling the truth. And sometimes right. the last 10% of clarity, how you hear that is you're not getting in the way. Actually, this is how you can help us get to the next level. Um, and I think that's the yeah. importance of, of tools like the Enneagram, that are, you know, great tools, but only a tool to be able to understand, oh, this is maybe how Brian even hears that. So even as you explain, I think it's a great example. Um, we don't think we're intimidating. And, and just in general, I don't know too many leaders that are self-aware enough to know, yeah, I'm I'm intimidating, but we kind of all are for different reasons. And, uh, you know, I don't intimidate myself when I wake up in the morning. Yeah, that's because you're you. And yet, Somebody's intimidated, Brian, maybe by your academic experience and by writing right. a book and all these no, things that you're not thinking that you're a big deal, but we're accidentally coming across that way. And that's been a blind spot of mine in the past. And and it's a blind spot for a lot of us. And I think, you know, you mentioned a few minutes ago, just the critical nature of the self-awareness that we need as leaders. And, and I completely agree with you. And the nuance that I would put into that is that even that, that our self-awareness requires help. That's the part for me that took a long time to learn. Um, but that is the, the, the nature of accountability. And once again, it's part of what made it work with Craig and me for all these years with, with SLI, um, who, you know, is my boss, so I continue to, to serve with him. And, but, but everything we do is highly collaborative now. Um, and, but, being able to him helping me see my blind spots and vice versa. Uh, it's the same that I experienced with my Linda, my wife. Uh, I mean, she sees things in me that I, I don't see. And both the, the possibilities, the greatness, as well as the liabilities, the blind spots and um, self, the, the journey to self-awareness actually requires accountability. It requires friendship. It requires uh, enough trust to lean into that. And so, you know, the number of times Craig would say, I want you to be honest with me. And at one point, I, I, I remember so vividly getting really honest about something. And I mean, I laid awake at night. I was so nervous about how this was going to come across. Yep. 
And he just laughed like that was really hard for you, wasn't it? It's like, <laughs> yeah, it was. He was like, okay, yeah. that's what I want. Good. And so he was affirming that, but he was also helping me see some of my own blind spot around that. And I've, yeah. I've helped him with the same. That's, that's what team does. That's great. Whether we're talking about a marriage or a work team or, you know, whatever. And so, um, but it, uh, especially in that founder syndrome, but it doesn't even have to just be founder. I mean, I watched mm-hmm. this happen with, you know, a denominational leader with a pastor or a pastor and a lay person or a set yeah. of lay people, totally. those power dynamics totally. get in the way. And they're even real. when we don't think they're part of the, the, the ethos, they are, and we have to address it. And if you've got the power dynamic, you got to go the extra mile to empty yourself and, and, uh, and, and be for others, what, what they need in order for us to, to really be in the collaborative environment we're talking about. Brian, I'm so glad to know you. Congratulations on your book leading together. And one of my favorite subtitles I think I've ever heard the holy possibility of harmony and synergy in the face of change. I don't know if you could pack more uh, in a subtitle than you did. So well done uh, in Thank that. Uh, glad to know you. Look forward to this uh, conversation continuing. And this felt you know part interview, part consulting. So maybe you need to send me a bill after this. But <laughs> no way, this is great. That. Man, appreciate uh, what you're doing. I think it's really unique that you're shaping people at the beginning of their journey uh, in academia. You continue to shape people in the middle of that with SLI and some of your other coaching, consulting. And then um, I would imagine helping people um, finish well and also pushing into the next season. Um, And there's not too many people that can cover that span in different ways. Um, Brian, of course, people can pick up your book. Guys, we've got it in the show notes. Where can people learn more about you and maybe even get some consulting on adaptive change? Yeah. So, uh, my website is briandsims.com. Uh, Brian's with a Y Sims is with one M. So B R Y A N D S I M S.com. And you can get a uh, link to the book. We're also adding some more resources up there. Um, and, um, some of these kind of things, even podcasts and whatnot, but other resources, uh, SLI is spiritual dash leadership.org. And, um, so all the, the coaching consulting stuff that I do, we've got a whole team of us that, that are doing that through SLI and um, partnering with, with other organizations in, in doing that as well. And so um, that, those are spaces that you can find me as well as find some of, some of our work. Awesome. Sounds great. We will chat again and love to bring you back into our Stay Forth community at some point. Look forward to that. Great to be with you today, Alan. Shine, shine. We ain't focused so long.